we have no right to give it away. Let's meditate on that today. Now I'll get to the task at hand. Genesis chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in that day that the Lord made the earth and the heavens and every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord had not caused it to rain upon the earth and there was not a man to till the ground. <clears throat> but there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. And the Lord planted a garden eastward of Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight, and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to the water garden, to water the garden, and from thence it was parted, and became four heads. The name of the first is Pison, which is which compass the whole land of Avalon, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. There is Bedlam and the onyx stone. And the name of the second river is Gihon. And the same is that compass the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hittitel. That is, it which goeth east, toward the east of the Syria. Excuse me. And the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the fowl of the air and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found to help me for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh and set thereof. And the rib which the Lord had taken from man made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman, because she is taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time of fellowship, of worship, and a time that we can come together as brothers and sisters and hear one another and care for one another and pray for one another. We're so thankful, Lord, that your ears are always attentive to our prayers and that you're there with us every moment of every day as we wake up and as we go to lay down and sleep. We thank you, Lord, for the times that you 
are with us and you show yourself to be mighty. Father, we thank you for this ministry here at South Hope. And we pray for other churches throughout this state and throughout the land that they would be Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, and God-following churches. We pray for the new church plant down in Rockland um, and for uh, Pastor Travis Hopp as he leads that church in fellowship. Father, we pray that his um, teachings there would be those of the Lord, of the scripture, gospel, and he would lead those people in a way that would honor and glorify you. Again, we pray for our pastor here, Pastor Jamie and his family. Lord, we lift them up to you as they need a special hedge of protection as, as those that are led to teach have a greater accountability before you. And each and every one of us should bow before the Lord in prayer for them as they too have taken on the task of, of leading the sheep. So Lord, we just thank you again. Praise you. We love you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Actually, we, we just got back from a couple motorcycle rallies. And in Laconia, was it Laconia, you had an opportunity to lead a young man to the Lord and still engage in conversation with him and, and directing him. So thank you for your prayers um, for that, for, for Lee. It's pretty, pretty exciting here. And then last week, I think of Bar Harbor as well. So awesome. Uh, and by the way, if you get warm, I didn't turn on the air conditioners this morning and, uh, for obvious reasons, but if you get warm, crack a window here. Um, this is one of the first days that instead of like grilling out, we're going to have at our house seafood uh, chowder <laughs> stew here. Um, like things are, things just seem to be very, very, very different today. Um, we began a, a new series last Sunday, the mission of God, tracing out God's heart for the nations, and began with 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 a God of purpose in creation. I'm sorry, let me dismiss the junior church to go with um, the Millers here. The junior church. <laughs> God makes creation. He has a He has a reason. He has a purpose. And the Scripture then moves on to the conflict and the and the problem generated by by human rebellion against that purpose. And most of the story of the Old Testament then is is this story of God's purposes being worked out in the stage of of human history and and uh, ends of course at the end of the book with the hope of a new creation. And so this means a few things here. It means that humanity's been given a mission. Humanity's been given a mission. And we saw that mission last week in Genesis chapter 1, to fill the earth with image bearers and represent and image out the goodness of God in all the world. And then God will then choose a nation, Israel with a mission, out of all the nations, the 70 nations in Genesis 11, he chooses Israel through Abraham against his background of sin and rebellion in Genesis 3 through 11, we, count, we, 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 we see in Genesis 12 that there is a Israel with a mission beginning with the call of Abraham. And then in the New Testament, and all throughout, traced out in the Old Testament, see this promise of a Messiah, Jesus with a mission, because Israel fails. And in the midst of this people, saturated with Scripture and, and waiting for God, steps in Jesus with this mission. And Jesus didn't just arrive and wonder, whoa, what am I going to do now? Jesus had a very clear conviction and understanding of the truth that he was sent. And his will was to do his Father's will. 
And so God's mission determined the Son of God's mission. And in the obedience of Jesus, even to the death of the cross, this mission of God reaches its climax. And Paul says God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. And then when Jesus ascends, he entrusts his church with a mission. To bear witness of the one true God and the person of Jesus Christ. When you know who God is, you know who Jesus is. When you know who Jesus is, then bearing witness to God's mission is the unavoidable outcome that has to happen. You see, there's a few things that put this all together that we're going to trace out. The good of humanity, the good of creation comes from humanity knowing the biblical God, God of the Bible. And God's will to be known is the mainspring of our mission to make Him known. So that all the nations praise Him through His Son. That's the theme of the Bible. God desired fellowship with the people. God made people. Those people turned against God. God pursued them. And in the end, I will dwell with them and they will be my people. This morning, I'm going to give you the background for Genesis chapter 12. Genesis 12, the book of Genesis written by Moses, divided into really two sections, 1 through 11 and then 12 through 15. And Genesis 12 is the hinge that Moses turns the book of Genesis on with Abraham and God's mission to open the door. And I want you to know why Genesis 2 through 11 are there to set chapter 12 up. The thing I want you to see this morning is that God is a pursuing God. God is a pursuing God. We saw last week that God created man in the image of God, that he gave him an irrevocable prestige, an irrevocable privilege, and an irrevocable person, the true image of God, Jesus. And I shared with you that kings and emperors in ancient times, and even dictators actually today in modern times, would set up an image of themselves and far-flung corners of their domains to signify their sovereignty over their territory and its people. And that image would represent the authority of the true king. And God installs humanity as his image within creation to image out the authority and goodness of God, of everything that belongs to God, the creator and owner of the earth. And if you read Genesis 1, you'll see that as God creates on day 1 and day 2 and day 3, He forms. And then on days 4, 5, and 6, He then fills in correspondence to each of those days. And on that day 6, we have that climax of His creation, human beings in His image. And this gives us a status that can never be taken away. A privilege to bear His name. And represent him on this earth and image out that he's the good God that we're made in relation to. And in relation with. And then we come to Genesis chapter 2. And Moses here, Genesis, Genesis 1 was a, was a flyover at 30,000 feet. Genesis 2 is now on the ground. Giving you a view of what God did in that very special day in chapter 6 as Lee read. And what we find out is this. Is that man and woman were put in the center of this garden to be like God's temple, this garden to represent God's dwelling place, this temple. And Adam and Eve are like God's priests here in this temple. To tend and to keep it, to make it like the rest of the to make the rest of the earth like the garden. And the fullness of God filling the earth with, with imagers 
of his goodness and kingship, living in close relationship with, with their creator. And as you read this, you might have noticed that as, as, as God uh, 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 <clears throat> did this, he said there's one thing that's not, that's not good in his creation. And he gave Adam a help me. Because there is mutual help in carrying out, uh, uh, needed in carrying out this mandate entrusted to humanity. Humanity is, is created in relationship. Not just a vertical relationship with our creator, but horizontal relationship. You're here today because there's some kind of relationship you have here. Humanity is created in a relationship, and the task that we've been given to multiply image bearers is a task that requires relational cooperation. Requires relationship and cooperation. And so God's intent for human life, right from the start, includes social relationships, loving horizontal relationships, trusting relationships between people, Certainly starting with marriage, but extending even beyond that to include all social relationships here. And so God brings a family together and begins this. And then you get to chapter 3. Chapter 3. And what God had told them they must not do, you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They listen to the serpent, and they do. They flip the role. Instead of them being the image, the reflection of God, they want God to be in their image instead of being in His. So they listen to the evil one, the serpent, and they go their own way, away from Him and away from His care, and they plunge themselves and creation and all who came after them, including us, into the slow degeneration called death. They ran away from relationship under God as imagers, and as a result, there's echoing repercussions that continue to reverberate out into the furthest reaches of the universe. The furthest star that we're aware of has been touched by the fall and the curse in man's sin. And like a cancer, the sin begins to eat away at, ex- at the universe's existence and our existence and, and, and humanity cut themselves off from the relationship with God. And so that sets the stage for chapters 4 to be 4 through 11, and to be honest, the rest of human history. But you might wonder here is humanity sinned and rebelled against God. What did that affect? And sin affected every dimension of the human person. Every dimension of the human person. Human humanity is not these three separate parts of humanity here, you know, body, soul, and spirit. Humanity is a wholeness, a whole person. And four aspects of human life are seen to be affected. Human beings are, are physical, aren't they? We're physical beings. Physical is not a bad thing. The ancient Greeks taught that physical things you touch and taste are, are evil, and, and the world needs to be purged of that so you can get to the good, the spiritual. But God, God made us physical. We're, we're whole beings here. We're creatures in a created physical world. Human beings are also spiritual. There's a unique intimacy of relationship with God. We're rational. We have unique abilities of communication, right? And language and memory and emotions and will. We're social. Because um, God's social. He's a relational being. And we are relational as well. And all these dimensions, physical, spiritual, rational, social here, are, 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 are what in Genesis 2-7 says, man became a living soul 
The idea is a being, a full being. But every one of those things is affected by sin. Every one of those things is affected by sin. The consequences of man's choice. Spiritually, Eve was led to doubt the truth and goodness of God and undermine that, that, uh, that, that, that relationship of trust and obedience to their creator. Mentally, think about her as she saw the fruit, right? And Adam, Adam by the way, is right weather. He's not like somewhere else and he's just doing her own thing. He's right weather. Mentally, she says, oh, this is good for food. Oh, this is pleasing to my eyes. And ah, oh, this is desirable to gain this wisdom that she thinks she needs. And she sinned mentally. Then physically, she didn't just say, oh, that looks good. What did she do with it? She took it and she put her ivories into it, right? She took it and ate it. Physical action, physical world. And then she shared it with who? With Adam, who the scripture says, who was with her. Who was with her. And he acquiesces in this. And everything, uh, uh, all of this here, the spiritual, mental, physical, it becomes, uh, the, the, the social, the shared, it enters in this core of human relationship and it just disintegrates and fractures humanity. And sin gains its entry through every dimension of the human personality and corrupts every one of those dimensions, doesn't it? Every single one of them. Think about it. Spiritually, we're alienated from God. We're fearful of his presence if we're honest in our sin and shame. We're suspicious of his truth. We doubt his truth. And we're hostile to his love. Rationally, what is, how do we use our minds then? We use them like that first human couple to rationalize sin, to blame others, and to excuse ourselves. We're darkened in our thinking. Physically, we are decaying. <laughs> Every ache and pain, every wrinkle is the start of the process of death. We're sentenced to death. Our physical environment, Romans 8 says, groans in futility under God's curse. Socially, the sin affected us. Human life is fractured at every level. You have anger, jealousy, violence. And in this next chapter, chapter 4, even murder between the first two brothers. The story of Cain and Abel. Social decay. And so, from Genesis 3, sin is far more than what went on in just hearts and behavior. It affects the whole fabric of the universe. It spreads horizontally within society. And not only horizontally within the present society, but also transcends generations vertically, doesn't it? passes on. Sin affects the whole environment of human life. And we look at this and we see the hardness of man's heart here, but I want us to see our pursuing God. Who calls them out? Who goes after them? Who dishes out consequences but doesn't put a line between them and relationship? It's our God. Because our God on mission is a pursuing God. And though he could not brush evil away and the damage it did because he's just, he graciously pursues man and relationship and he promises a descendant through Eve in Genesis 3.15. He says this to the serpent, I will put enmity or hostility between you and the woman and between your seed, your descendant, and her descendant. It, 
her descendant shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. He promises a descendant through Eve that would be wounded, but would put a final end to the evil one. And so humanity's task to multiply image bearers and image of his goodness and kingship would be made a more difficult and gritty task with suffering. Man's under a curse, and the very things that God commissioned them to do in Genesis 1 now are going to be difficult. Multiply and having dominion over the earth. And then you see in chapter 4 here, Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived, and Lord came and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. Here he is, here's the seed, here's the descendant. And no, what does this descendant do? He kills his brother out of jealousy. Violence and oppression and 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 yet what is what, and, and reducing people from image bearers to self-centered and Cain and Abel. And even in that story, God is warning Cain, whoa, watch out. Sin's going to destroy you. Sin lies at the door. And he warns him. And he protects him. Even when he has to punish Cain, Cain says, my punishment is, is more than I can bear. And God says, well, I'll put a mark on you and protect you here. Cain has a hard heart. And then at the end of the chapter, there's this guy, Lamech, a descendant of Cain. And he brags about how he has these wives as property. And he brags about murder and revenge that he's had. And you see this start to unravel. And then you get to Genesis chapter 5 and verses 1 through 3. One of the key words of the book of Genesis connected to the idea of seed is generation. So every time you read the book of Genesis, underline that word generation. Because there's a theme Moses is tracing out here. And it says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created him, uh, that God created man in the likeness of of God made he him, male and female created he them, and blessed them, and called their name Adam, man, in the day when they were created. And Adam lived a hundred and thirty years, and fathered his son in his own likeness, after his image, and called his name Seth. God continues this seed through Seth. And you notice some of the language you picked up in Genesis 5 from Genesis 1. It shows us God is not abandoning his purpose. He's pursuing man. But the rest of Genesis 5 is what? So-and-so lived a certain number of years, and then they died. 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 And you have this obituary here of Adam's line. This termination point that reminds us there is a termination point to each one of our lives. There's an end. And things deteriorate so badly in Genesis chapter 6 that even God's divine counsel, the unseen realm, creatures he's created and trusted to be over the nations, leave the charge God gave them to, Second Peter and Jude talk about, and lost after women and had descendants called Nephilim. And God says this in Genesis 6 verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil, all the time. And it repented or grieved the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the earth, for it repents me, grieves me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God still pursues man, and he tells Noah to build this floating shelter on earth. It takes Noah 120 years to do this. 
And Peter tells us later on that Noah is preaching the whole time, warning people this is coming. And God's, again, a merciful and pursuing God. Gives people an opportunity to turn back to him. Gives opportunity to turn their allegiance back to God. For 120 years, Noah builds this floating shelter from this judgment that will come. And then it comes. And that's what chapter 7 is, and that's what chapter 8 is. And then in chapter 8.15, the rain stops. The earth that was covered with a flood now has dry land starting to appear again. In chapter 8, verse 15, Noah and his family are given this charge. God spoke to Noah, saying, Go forth of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring forth with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, both of fowl and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth, that they may breed abundantly in the earth and be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. Has God given up on his, on his, his, his purpose for man? He wants to see man filled with image bearers. Starting now with Noah, a man who found grace in God's sight, who walked with God. Noah does this, and God makes promises to him, a covenant in verse 21 and 22, and he blesses him in verse chapter 9, verse 1, and repeats what he said to Noah. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. He says there's some things that are going to be different for you. It reminds him of man being made in the image of God in verse 6, for the image of God made me man. And then in verse 7, and you be fruitful, multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth, and multiply therein. He repeats this. God's design. You see this again. It's hard to see the earth filled with image bearers of him, to bear his name. And then you get down to chapter 9 and verse 20. And Noah began to be a Farmer, he planted a vineyard, he drank of the wine, he was drunk, and he's lying naked in this tent. And something happens between him and his son Ham while Noah's drunk. There's some perversion. And in chapter 9, Ham is cursed. But again, man's hardness, man's sin, but God doesn't give up. God's pursuit. Look in chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 1. Now these are the generations of the son of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and to them were sons born after the flood. And so now it's traced out here the, uh, the, the sons of Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And then in chapter 10, verse 32, says this. These are the families of the sons of Noah after their generations and their nations, and by these were the nations divided in the earth after the flood. There's 70 nations that are listed here. And all the nations of the earth originate here. And then in chapter 11, here you have humanity going back to being their own God. Chapter 11, verse 1 through 9, they are united in wickedness. Verse 1, the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they were told to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Why? Just because God wanted to keep them apart? No, what's his plan? To fill the globe with image bearers, bearers. To fill the earth with that. So that his name goes out and his, his goodness is multiplied and spread throughout the earth. And here they all are, all are, all clumped. 
And they make a tower. In verse 4, they say, Let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach to heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the old earth. And here is God. What's he going to do? going to wipe them out again? This is a rebellion? What's he do? Verse 5, And the Lord came down. The Lord came down. Let us, let's displace God's glory with our own, without our Creator. And God keeps giving humanity the chance to do the right thing. In God's good world. But what does man continually do? He chooses selfishness, self-exaltation, and rebellion. And God comes down and pursues, and he mercifully only scatters them through languages. And then the chapter spends the rest of the time, chapter 11, spends the rest of the time talking about one of Noah's sons. The son Shem, from whom the Shemitic peoples will come through. The Semitic peoples. And his descendants, and out of all the nations. And it narrows down as you read this. You get to chapter 11, verse 25, and it says... And Nahor lived after he fathered Terah 119 years and fathered sons and daughters. And Terah lived 70 years and fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his birth. And Ur, the Chaldees. And Abram and Nahor took them wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife, Milcah. The daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, the father of Iscah. But Sarah was barren, she had no child. And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his son's son. And Sarah his daughter-in-law, son of Abram's wife. And they went forth with him from, from Ur of the Chaldees to go in the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. And then Terah dies. And then chapter 12, verse 1 says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get you out of your country and from your kindred and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless you and curse them that curses you and in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. Blessing? Is, is that really what they needed? Is that really what they deserved? Is this really what humanity needed? Yeah, it's what we needed. It's not what we deserve. And so everything that God had said in Genesis 3.15 about a seed in the Senate is going to crush the evil one here now starts to begin to take shape and make sense. What does this tell us and teach us here this morning? I think, first of all, that we can see pretty obviously that the mission of God is powerful. It is powerful. Despite sin, despite all that core of, of, of humanity and those four aspects and, and how that affected the rest of the universe, the ruin, the hardness, the evil, the wrong choices, he weaves his plan here to multiply people who will image and bear the name. God is powerful. Some of you have seen that in your life, haven't you? There have been generational cycles that have been broken. 
fabric of sin that has been in your family for years and generations here, that God has stepped in and is mercy and broken. God's mission is powerful. The things he has called you out of. That propensity of the human heart to run away from God and God has brought you near. The second thing, I think that's very obvious here, is that the mission of God is patient. He is so patient. And I I don't just mean he's patient because in spite of all humanity, he just keeps extending his mercy. That's part of it. But listen, what God said, he didn't do immediately, did he? We live in America. We want things now. We want change to happen instantly. We want results instantly. God is a God who has his own timetable. God is a God who is to be trusted for that timetable. Do you notice over and over in the scripture that there's this idea of waiting on the Lord? And it's not doesn't mean wait so be apathetic and complacent. It means trust the Lord to do what he's going to do. We would look at this in Genesis 3.15 and we would be like even in Genesis 4 and say, alright, here he is. Here's the descendant, Cain. This is what you promised. And God would say, yeah, I promised that, but that's not my timing. We're talking hundreds and thousands of years here. If we were God, we would say, okay, we're going to do it now. Jesus, come on the earth now, right? And even when Jesus does come, Centuries later, God doesn't just put him as a full-grown human adult on a cross, does he? There's a tension here between the urgency of mankind to turn to the Lord and God's plan, isn't there? There's a tension. Jesus comes as a baby, an infant. He has to go through toddler stage. He has to get through elementary stage. The age 12. We find him in the temple. But he doesn't start his ministry even though he's capable there, proven to be capable at the age of 12 till 20 years later. And when he starts his ministry, he does it for three years still before he's crucified for the sins of mankind. What's your timetable like? God's mission shows that he's a patient God. And he's not going to work out everything on your timetable and my timetable. He could be instantaneous. He may not be instantaneous. This has taken centuries. But you're to put yourself under the mighty hand of God. Thirdly and finally, do you see God's mission in being persistent? He pursues. He has set his eye on the goal of his son receiving the reward of all that he has suffered. And he will not back off from that task. That tells you something about you and me too. He'll finish the course. He'll complete the work. 
He is not going to abandon that mission. God's mission is persistent. Maybe you've been cold toward the Lord. Remember how He pursued you and is pursuing you right now as He reminds you of His never stopping, never giving up mission to be your God and you be His people. Maybe you're here this morning and you're running from Him. And the irony here is you're here. <laughs> and you will find Him when you come to yourself and realize being the prodigal living in the far country among the pigs is not what He made you for. And life with the Father is far better. He's pursuing you. Or maybe it's just your perception. You feel abandoned this morning. Maybe you feel lonely. Cast off. Maybe you have health problems that have started to increase here. Or you're noticing the deteriorating, te- deteriorating scenes in our country. Or there's things in life that are changing faster than you can adapt to. That were before circumstances and settings that were something you could regularly depend on, but are now changing and God's showing you, whoa, you were anchored in the wrong things. It's causing you angst. Maybe there's the limitations that aging is causing. Maybe dreams that you once had, you know now, are never going to happen. And you're starting to realize that. And there's expectations that have been unfulfilled. Maybe there were relationship failures. Or simply just changes in relationships. That kind of threw you for a whirl. And I want to tell you this morning... The mission of God is one that is such that He is powerful, He is patient, and He is persistent, and He is pursuing. Not for your glory, but for His. Paul had to remind the Corinthians of this in his second letter, and he says, You're the temple of the living God. As God has said, and he quotes from the Old Testament, he says, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. You know that promise is all throughout the Old Testament. And what happens in John 1 is that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then in John's last writing, the book of Revelation, God says in His new creation to all the nations who have come to Him, I will be your God and you shall be my people. That's the heartbeat of God. That's the mission of God. God says, I will be a father to you, and you should be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. And Paul tells this little church on a peninsula off the island of Greece and Corinth, in the Mediterranean Sea, in the Aegean Sea, he says this, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. See, the mission of God has always been this. From Genesis all the way to the end, He's inviting people to be more fully human. His definition of human through the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The death, burial, and resurrection of the one who's the true image of God that fits all because it's the answer to the most basic need and restores the common glory of what it is to be truly human. A man or a woman made in the image of God, made fully a son and daughter of the king. He's a pursuing God. And so this morning I want to ask you this. 
Will your heart be tender? Tender to the one who says, Surely his goodness and mercy will pursue, will hunt me down, will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been resisting God's mission and never responded to Jesus of Nazareth and repentance and faith. Trust in what he said and what he's done. And God's call to you is still to come to him. And the only grounds you're able to do that is not on the basis of your own good works as we celebrate this morning the Lord's Supper, but on the basis of a broken body and shed blood. God's calling you this morning to respond to repentance and faith and come to Jesus. Or believer, maybe you're in one of those shades of categories here where you're dry. The zeal and passion that you have isn't what it was, perhaps. Your heart's grieving, perhaps a loss. You're aching with other things. Or you're dominated by a sin that is just eating you alive. And the same call is given towards you. Come back to Jesus. Come back to Jesus. Jesus is where true life is. All those things that happened in Genesis chapter 3, the Bible calls the outcome of that eternal death. Life apart from God of all eternity in the place the Bible calls the lake of fire. Forever. And on the other end of that, to all who received the one who stood in our place, when we celebrate this morning here, his blood poured out for us, his body broken for us. You hear those those, those ideas of substitution who stood in our place here, that's where abundant life is found. If you don't know the Lord Jesus, we need to have a conversation to show from the Word of God the truth path to life. Talk to me afterward. We're going to have Sunday school after the morning service here where uh, we have discussion on the passage that we talked about. We're look at our pursuing God, and I want you to be thinking in your own hearts and minds here. How has God pursued you in your life? Where are the ways that you were walking this way and God went and he called you back? And then I want you to also think this morning here about how you're going to multiply this story. How you, as a restored image bearer of God, are going to keep it going. And you're going to be involved in gospelizing. Telling the story of Jesus. Telling the mission of God. Telling others how God has pursued you and how he's willing to do the same for others. That's our call this morning. And so as we transition this morning to uh, responding with, with, with hearts of praise and song, um, let's do so with a heart that rejoices in a God who is powerful in his mission of pursuing who has been so persistent and patient in his mission. And in one day, we'll see the full fruits of all of this. Let's pray, and we'll sing. Lord Jesus, I thank you that 
Your mission is so powerful, there's nothing that's going to stop it. You're going to get your task done. That you have been patient in humanity. You have your own timing and you're very merciful to us. And you're persistent. You have set your eyes on the goal. And in the hands of our all-present, all-knowing, and all-powerful God, you're going to finish the task. And Lord, we look forward to that day and we say, as you've told us to, Maranatha, our Lord, come. We look forward to your soon return. In the meanwhile, help us to be busy about the Father's business. Until you come, in Jesus' name we pray. Thank <clears throat> you.